are saved and you know it. There are those of you that are unsaved and you know that. And then there are those of you that are unsaved, but you think you're saved. And there are some of you that are saved, but you struggle with knowing whether or not you really are. And it is a struggle for some. Today we're going to look at a passage that I am convinced applies to all four kinds of people, everyone in this room, that will clarify and hopefully, especially for some of you that, that really are saved, but, but you struggle with knowing. You struggle with, have I just done too much to where where I'm so displeasing to God that that I'm not a part of His kingdom? I trust that this passage will bring a right comfort. We ought not to be comforted if we aren't saved, but a right comfort for those of you who know Christ as your Savior. I want to read to you from Ephesians, beginning with the 11th verse in chapter 1. In Him, of course, is Christ. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory in Him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, amazing Deep words you have spoken. But when you speak, it's, it's for our growth, for our edification, to, to teach us, to move us. So these are understandable when your Spirit's the teacher. And so we ask that He would teach our hearts and move us not away from you, but towards you. Will you illumine our hearts today? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Now, just as a, a reminder, and for those of you that are here every week, you've heard it the first several weeks uh, of, as we're going through this book of Ephesians, the, the context, it's important. Uh, and it's important to understand that the people that, that this letter was uh, being written to were in uh, a difficult situation. They were in a hostile environment. They were in a city where they were not only the minority, but the oppressed minority. Everything was acceptable in Ephesus except Christianity. It was okay. It was good. Worship whoever you want. Do it with the the temple prostitutes. Everything goes except following Christ. And so, here are God's people. God's people that no doubt had, had struggles of, what's all this mean? If, if this is what it is to follow Christ, why is it going this way? Why is it so hard? And have I been faithful enough to remain a part of his kingdom? Or have I gone over the edge somehow and fallen out of favor of God? And so Paul writes, not necessarily what I would say to someone, someone who came to me with some of those struggles and sat in my study and said, I need some encouragement. I wouldn't be so bold as to then talk to them first and foremost of these great doctrines, and yet God's wisdom is way better than mine. And so he begins to assure them of who they are in Christ to give us a glimpse from God's perspective of how salvation works and why they should be comforted because of that, in spite of what's going on around them. So let's take a look as we continue on through this passage of how, first of all, they've obtained an inheritance of salvation, verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now some of your versions uh, say this, in Him you were chosen, and others, other, other versions say in Him You've obtained an inheritance. The word itself there is is only used here in the New Testament. This is a one-time usage of that particular word. Literally means to determine, to choose, or to assign by lot. 
Not here, but that's how the word would have been used outside of the New Testament. And it's from, from the idea of assigning a portion of land to someone for an inheritance. Maybe the better translation would be, we were made an inheritance. In other words, we're passive in this. It's not something we did and got, but it's something that was bestowed upon us. Now look at, look at the, the word he uses to comfort. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, this is the second time that Paul has used the P word, okay? I, I say that because I think some of you, when you see that, you, it strikes fear in you. Like, oh, no. We're, we're going to talk about predestination so that's why I wanted to remind you that, look, this is, this is for the comfort of the Ephesians, but not only for them, it's for us as the people of God. And so he used it the first time. It was unto adoption, and this time as heirs of Christ. Now I know some of you struggle with this. I know. I struggled with it myself. When I teach theology, by the way, that's okay to struggle with it. In fact, I want you to struggle with it. When I teach theology, here's a, here's a, a principle that I, I, I tell people, and that is when you come to something that's difficult, use the press and release method. Okay, some of you have heard this if you've been in a theology class with me. Here's what I mean by that. Um, you come to this difficult doctrine, and maybe a doctrine that intimidates you. By the way, if you, if you don't cope with any doctrine that intimidates you, you're going to have a pretty small God. Okay? I mean, if he's really God, there's going to be something that is going to be outside of your comfort zone, outside of the way you would have figured things out. Or, or he wouldn't be God, you would be. So um, the press and release idea is that you press in, you look at the Scripture, you study it, you try to figure it out, uh, but then you just back off and you just kind of relax for a little bit. And for a little bit, you have to use your own judgment, maybe for a a few days or a week or something, depending on how hard you had gotten into it. Because the problem, if you, you know, my, my tendency would be to press and to press and to press, and then you can get so confused that it's sometimes harder to understand. But if you, if you press in and then back off and just kind of say, okay, I've I, I got to let my brain have a rest and just, I'll just pray about it for a while. And then you press in again and what I find is that, for me, that I'm able to press further in the next time. And then you release a little bit and, and so on. So 
If you're struggling with this, that's okay. Just press and release. Think about it for a while. Pray about it all the time. But then relax. If it's a truth and you're, you're willing to consider it, you press in and the Lord will begin to illumine you in this. So what does Paul mean by predestined? Was God sovereign in this? Or could it be that salvation for us was, it was really his desire, but he just kind of laid it out there, and it's up to us to determine whether we'll be saved or not. Look at what he says elsewhere. In, in Romans 8, verse 29, and by the way, people love Romans 8, even those that don't like predestination. They love Romans 8. I don't know how they get around this part of it, though. But in Romans 8, verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. By the way, in the Scripture, you see, some will say, okay, well, it, it's foreknowledge. He's just looking ahead, and he knows what's going to take place. That's all it's talking about. He's not determining it. That, that's why he uses the word foreknew. That's a misunderstanding of the word to foreknow. If you look at the word to know in the Old Testament, it speaks of intimately knowing another. In other words, Adam knew Eve and they bore Cain. Right? You get it? That's how that word is used. So, in, in the Scripture to foreknow, you could, you could say in a very real sense it means to forelove. All right? That's not a stretch. Not one bit. Because to know speaks of an intimate relationship. So, let me read it that way. For those whom he foreknew or foreloved, follow this chain. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. It's calling to Christ. Inward calling. And those he called, he also justified. He made righteous because of what Christ had done. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He took them to heaven, or will take them to heaven. Do you see this glorious chain of events that he's talking about? According to this, according to that, that passage, because it talks about those he, he, he predestined, he called justifying glorified. So there is not a group of people that are predestined 
that will never come to Christ. Not according to the Word of God here. It's a chain that won't be broken. Once someone is predestined, certain things will follow. You will be called. You'll be justified. You'll be glorified. So if you're predestined, here's the bottom line. You're going to end up in heaven. Your salvation is not left to chance or to your whim. Here's the thing. Your free will, because that's going to be the next question. Well, what about my free will? Okay. Your free will is not violated because what he does is he changes your heart. He gives you a new heart. We're going to see this later in Ephesians. You were dead and he made you alive. He gives you a new heart to where you freely choose to follow Christ because you want to. No one's arms are twisted. No one's free will is inhibited. There is no one that says, no, I don't want Christ, but he's making me come to him. That, that's, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. Understand this too. We don't know who is predestined. This is just a glimpse into God's perspective. And so you know what? I never worry about it. Our role is to outwardly call all people to Christ. And I'm not worried that somebody that's not predestined is accidentally going to be led to the Lord by me and end up in heaven and God say, wait a minute, you thwarted my will by leading them to Christ. That's not going to happen. So we don't need to worry about this. What we are getting is a glimpse from God's perspective. This is how it works. And remember, this is for their comfort because what they must realize is, okay, it's in, this is in God's hands and not my weak little hands. Now, I know some of you have a problem thinking about God choosing some and not choosing others. Let me, let me read you another passage. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for the treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He's chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You See, this is how God works. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. Do you know who he's talking about here? This is from Deuteronomy chapter 7. He's talking about the people of Israel. And here's the ironic thing. I don't know any Christians that complain that God chose the people of Israel from among all the nations. 
people love that. They think that, that's a, that was a, a great thing. It was a, a wonderful God that would do that. It's the way God works. But when it comes to the New Testament salvation, they don't like it all of a sudden. Here's what we need to know. We are the people of Israel. He has called us out. Not because there was more of us or we were better than anyone else, but just like it says in Deuteronomy 7. Because He set His love on us. That's how God seems to work. There's a third comfort here in terms of our assurance of salvation. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Heard, believed, and were sealed. Now we're going to see again later in Ephesians that the only way we can believe is because God gives us faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's the only way we could ever believe. And just before that it says because you were dead. So that's why we believe. But think of the phrase, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. To the Ephesians, and in that day, they would have thought of some kind of an official pronouncement, a letter that would, uh, some wax would have been put on, and then uh, whoever had the authority would have a signet ring that he would put in the wax to seal it with his authority. Okay? It guaranteed it. It made it so because of the authority of the one sealing. And that's what Paul is saying. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The promise of your salvation is as sure as the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That seals on you. Now that leads us to the next phrase. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. There's two ways, there are two ways we can understand salvation. One way is it is man-centered. Coming to Christ ultimately depends upon the will of man. Or salvation is God-centered. Coming to Christ ultimately depends on the will of God. Some of you want it to be man-centered. But I would just caution you. If it is man-centered, then your salvation is as strong as the will of man is. You will keep your salvation only as long as you are faithful. If, however, salvation is God-centered, and I'm convinced that's what this passage and the rest of Scripture tells us, that salvation, if it is God-centered, then it is as strong as the will of God. 
you will keep your salvation as long as God is faithful, and that's forever. Did you catch what we sang earlier? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, here's where our assurance is, My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And here's the part of what I just said. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. In other words, as long as he is standing in heaven, nothing can cause me to lose my salvation. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. There is a guarantee until we acquire it. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the seal. He's the down payment on the fullness of the inheritance that is ours in Christ. Think about what happens when a couple gets engaged. Now, where this illustration breaks down is, yeah, couples do break up, okay? <laughs> I know, I know, okay, I get it. But ordinarily, what, what does all this mean? When a couple gets engaged, typically an engagement ring is given. And that's worn to signify what happens, you know, the girl wears it, everybody wants to see it and so on. What does it signify, though? I mean, that's not the end. It's not like, well, you got your ring. That's it. No, it's signifying that there's going to come a day when there will be a, a wedding and a wedding band that will go with that ring. It looks forward to her receiving that. With Christ... The Holy Spirit is a pledge to his bride, us, the church, that the wedding day is coming, that Christ is coming again for that wedding day, and that we will be united to the King forever. And so this table should serve as a reminder of the guarantee. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the guarantee that we have been invited to His table. Right now, it's for a taste. But that taste should remind us that later we will sit at his table for the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is what the Apostle Paul says about that. I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, here it is, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then there is a warning. A warning for us as well. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So here is who is invited. It is for those who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. Maybe you're even in that category where you say, you know, I am trusting in Christ, but I still struggle with assurance. Sometimes I wonder if I'm still saved. This table is for you. Calvin said, if you have doubts, this is the table to strengthen those. And so, if you have professed your faith and done so in a public way as the Scripture bids us to do so, then you're welcome to come. Now, if you're, if you're treasuring some sin that you're unwilling to deal with, it'd be better not to take because you mustn't make a mockery of Him. But the better way to go is to turn from it, turn to Him even before the elements come by you. And if you're in that category still as of this moment where you've never received Christ as your Savior, I encourage you. The only thing worse than that would be to then make a mockery of Him by taking of the table. And so just simply let the elements pass by Listen to the meaning. And during that time, I encourage you even to, to seek Him. And if you have children that have not yet publicly professed their faith, we encourage you to withhold it from them. Explain to them of the one day when they will stand before this or another congregation and publicly confess Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, for this table of guarantee, we are grateful. There's nothing magical in this. In fact, this is bread and fruit of the vine that, that we buy at the grocery store. We could have in our cupboard at home. So we ask you to, to take these common everyday elements... And we're not asking for something magic. We're asking you to set them apart for your special use. To nourish our souls. To draw us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.